That's okay, isn't it? Just to be here, to show up, to be present. Let's uh, open with prayer. Lord, we are uh, grateful to be gathered here again today. Um, gathered not just, uh, just us. I mean, we could have sat somewhere else today by ourselves and uh, spent time with you. But something about being in community, something about being with those who love you, something about being with those who have, who have walked further than us with you, something about being with those who uh, haven't yet walked with you at all, something about that is uh, more amazing than sitting alone. Pray today, Lord, as our time is spent together, not only are we present to each other, but that your Holy Spirit would be present to us in a very real way, that it would minister to us, that he would inform us, that he would soften our hearts and open our minds, that he would reveal truth through your word, that we might uh, more fully know you today, that we might more fully walk with you today, and uh, that we might learn to cry out or to praise, to share. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. Um, let's get started. We've been talking for so long, I feel like. You guys feel like it's been a long journey? I feel like it's been a long journey, this sermon series. Maybe you guys don't sense that. I'm not sure how, how you feel, but it just feels like we're going. And this is a short uh, season of Easter this year. You know, it's, it's here. Next Sunday is Easter. And that's where we've been going the whole time since we remember Jesus' narrative of his birth. And it seems in some ways short, but it seems so, such a long journey. And I don't think that we appreciate fully, uh, you know, you think about what's three years of your life? You have kids, right? Three years is gone like before you know what happened. If you were a kid, three years for example, Nathan is 13. In three years, he'll be driving. In five years, he'll be in college, God willing, right? We've talked about that stuff and how, how fast that is. And the scripture tells us that three years is about how much time Jesus spent with his disciples. And we've been walking with them in these three years. Three years that we've been talking about for 2,000 years. It's incredible have three years of so much impact. I don't know what I think about that. I just wonder. We all want so, so much time to do things. We also want so much, um, I don't know, exposure. Just give me time. I'll get there. I'll get there. And Christ did so much in three years that it still speaks to us, that it still blows our minds, that we still can't get our heads around it. And we've been talking for the last, what, 12 weeks, about three years. Three months, about three years. Last week we talked about Peter's best day. And we talked a bit about having a best day, right? And, and one of the questions that I have this morning is, do you actually dare allow yourself to dream? Do you ever allow yourself to think great thoughts? Do you ever allow yourself to get caught up in something that's so much bigger than you, you can't imagine that you're allowed to be part of it? See, I don't think most of us do. I think that we are, we are safe. I think that we motivate, we, we work a lot of times out of, 
out of a motivation of fear. We work out of a motivation of avoiding pain. You know, we don't dare to dream. There's this idea that, you know, when, when you're a kid, I always told my kids, man, be, they, you know, kids want to be grown up. Do you ever see that in your kids? They always want to be big like you, you know. And I always tell them, just be a kid for as long as you can. You know, my wife says, you have to stop. <laughs> and I go, do I? No. I mean, it's this idea that just live in that place of dreams and imaginations. I remember one time I was walking down the street with my oldest son, and he said, we should go over to the park and play basketball. And I looked over at the, the basketball goals, and they had, they had taken the hoops down. And I said, well, we don't even have, there's no hoops. That's okay. I said, well, we don't even have a ball. That's okay. <sighs> okay. How do you do that? So I said, let's go play basketball. I don't know what this is going to look like, you know. It was awkward. <laughs> because I know what basketball is supposed to be. But, you know, they don't see those limitations. I think that we spend a lot of time afraid to dream, afraid to think great thoughts, afraid to imagine that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. But I want to invite you today to stop being afraid of that, just to dare to dream, dare to think big thoughts. And I'll tell you where I'm getting this from, but I want to back up first to remember this, where we've been. And I don't want to go through the whole thing we've been talking about, this whole journey, man, because it seems so long. It got to where it was like a full paragraph on my little notes here of all the stuff we've talked about with Jesus' life. What I want to talk about today, though, is this idea that at this time, there's this turn today. Matt said it's the beginning of Holy Week. Today, we remember this turn with the disciples, this time that they begin to turn their faces towards Jerusalem with Jesus. They begin to think great thoughts. And you will see it in Scripture. They begin to unguard their hearts. You say they've kind of almost been antiseptic about this. They've been kind of, they, they don't know what's happening. They're, they're, they're sold out. They're going with Jesus they're taking knocks with them. He sent them out. They've done great things. But there's this idea that they begin to really let their imaginations run away with them in today's text. And so I just want to, want to talk about that today a little bit. Because we've talked about a lot of stuff about people trying to trap Jesus. And, and there's, this all happens after this turning moment, this time that they begin to hope and dream. It's a time that they turn towards belief and possibilities. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are some at the end of the rows, such as this. And you can just grab one of those. If you see someone without a Bible, either share yours or hand one of these to them. Um, because you're going to have to read alone. You don't have to, but you'll want to. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verse 28 to 20, uh, 42. It's right there. And on the, the Bibles in the chairs, it's page 730. So you can get there more quickly. And I just want to read this as we start. Luke chapter 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you. And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. 
Those who were sent ahead found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Where are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you had only known on this day what would, have bring, what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. This is a story we've all heard. Someone said to me before the service today, they said, I hope you say something different today because we've heard this thing a thousand times. It's the same thing, the same story. I hope you come Friday. Can I just say that to the Good Friday service? I'm going to personally invite all of you to come. There's something that we do in Christianity where we have this Palm Sunday, this high holy day. The header in your Bible, I don't know what yours says. Mine says the triumphal entry, right? We sang about triumph earlier. It's this high, great time. And, and so many folks go from this great time on Palm Sunday to this great time on Easter, and they have no idea what has happened in between. Well, you have some idea what's happened in between. But we're inviting you to come out Friday because we're going to experience what happened in between because it changes everything. And most significantly for me, it changes what this Sunday is about because it, it seems almost like Easter already. It seems almost like this great time of bringing Jesus into Jerusalem, the coming king. But there's something that's not quite right about what's going on. I want to talk first about context of today's text. We always talk about the context, and that's just a way of saying what's around it. You know, things don't happen in a vacuum. You weren't born in a vacuum. You don't live today in a vacuum. There are people all around you that kind of influence and um, speak to what you're doing. And this is the same for text, for the scriptures. There are things around it that can help us understand. I went through and looked at all the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I looked at John, too, but John's on his own thing. You know, if you've read John, John's, he's doing his own thing, right? But I read the synoptics, and there's this pattern that I want to mention to you that we see. You see, last week we talked about Peter confessing the Christ. Remember that? It was the best day of his life. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was huge. Because from that time on, Jesus begins to talk about his death. See, until then he was doing these works, and he begins to speak about the Son of Man will be betrayed, the Son of Man will be put to death and be killed, be hunted. And, and it gets Peter in trouble, as you remember. But this is the, the context of this text. Because Peter has already confessed Christ. Jesus has already predicted his death. Now, here's my favorite, one of the great little things we don't have a chance to talk about, but I want to mention it. James and John, after Jesus predicts his death, you know what they do? They call shotgun. Do you ever do that? Shotgun! Right, guys? That's what James and John, actually one of the Gospels says that their mom calls shotgun for them. <laughs> I don't know how that works. They, they ask a question, can I be seated at your right hand? The mom says, can one of my sons be at your right and the other at your left? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're asking me for. This is the context 
of our text today. And then in every gospel, Jesus heals someone who is blind right before he comes into Jerusalem. So this is what leads us up to today's text. This idea of the confession of the Christ, prediction of his death, which no one seems to be hearing him saying, by the way. And that's maybe something to disconnect with today for us. Because no one fully understands what Jesus has to do. I don't know that we fully understand what Jesus had to do on our behalf. I want to talk a little bit about after the text as well. Because after he heals these blind folks, and it's always the blind folks right before he comes in, he, we have our text, this triumphal entry story, and then the first thing he does is he gets in and he clears the temple, right? And we've talked about that before. He just throws out the money changers and the sellers of indulgences or whatever it was, it wasn't indulgences, but it was kind of the same thing, these, these sin offerings and these, all these things. He says, my house is a house of prayer, my father's house is a house of prayer, right after this text today. And then I wanted to, this is why I wanted to mention the postlude of our text. Because it's then that the chief priests, teachers of the law, and elders begin to try to trap or test Jesus, which we've already talked about. So I want to mention that to you. That's where it's at. But what you start to see in Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is it is a political movement. See, we've been hearing a lot about politics, right? Are you tired of it yet? Are you even tired about hearing about the change and the possibilities? <laughs> You know, man, we start so early. I mean, we just, we're, I mean, we're cynical. I don't know. Maybe I'm cynical. But you just wear out. You're like, just get on with the change. Let's just go. What are we waiting for? There's a political movement underway here. And I'm going to say this because I know it might be tainted for some of you. But at the root of politics is an issue of power. And here's the definition I found in Merriam-Webster for political movement. It's like the third definition, because most of them are about governments. And it's the same thing, but you have to think about it a little bit. But this is what the definition says. A political movement involves the competition between competing interest groups or individuals for power and leadership. And I think that the disciples got this. Why were they going to Jerusalem? Does anyone know? For the Passover meal. This is something they remember this time that God spared them when they were in, in um, Spared Israel in Egypt. Passed over their houses. They're coming in, following this guy Jesus, and there's this feeling, there's this sense of a whole new movement. Things are going to change. And everyone seems to know that. Everyone seems to know that around the text. So let's go back through the text we have for today. The triumphal entry. The first way I want to look at this is as the disciples, we've been talking about walking with Jesus, hands dirty, right behind them, you know. I, by the way, if, if, I, if I can just encourage you to do one thing today, I, I want you to just long for that embrace. Does that make any sense? There are those around us who are great models for what it looks like to want Jesus. I think too many of us want to want to control. What about just to hang out? What about just to, we talk about hold my hand? Is that okay? Is it okay as a grown man to want to just hold on? We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry as seen by the disciples. And, I, and here's my little sub thing there. It's like there's a new sheriff in town. There's this movement that happens. They begin to see the picture. They begin to see the picture 
of what Jesus will do. Of course, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? We always say that. There's this idea that they, they begin to see what is happening. Let's go back to the text. It says, after Jesus has said this in verse 28, by the way, that's just the, the parable right before it. And the parable is about this. The people thought that the kingdom of God was going to come right then. And he teaches a parable. It says it in verse 11. He teaches a parable to say, it's not going to happen right now. He's trying to kind of, I don't know what he's doing, they're kind of giving us a little distance, a little space. But they say in verse 28, Luke records, after Jesus had said this, the kingdom would not happen right now, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. God sending two. It's a good model for ministry. God sending two out ahead. He says, go into the village as you enter it. You will find a colt. You know, there's some subtlety in the text here that's, that's so taken for granted we don't even see it. There's this idea that, that these guys were, were walking with Jesus towards Jerusalem. And he says, hey, hey, guys, why does he stop there? Why didn't Jesus go walk into town and get the colt himself? What is he doing with his disciples again? Hey, you two, you two fellas, come here a minute. I want you to go ahead and, and walk into the town. There's going to be this colt tied up there that no one's ever ridden on. Bring it back to me. And here's the kicker. If anyone asks you what you're doing, tell them the Lord needs it. I am going to own this text today for myself. I have made a decision that I'm going to walk around the world, and as I need things, I'm just going to take it and say, the Lord needs it. You don't think this is a big deal? I'm thinking, what's an uh, unridden colt? How about a Ford Mustang? Yes! How about a convertible Ford Mustang? So I can ride on it. No, but Jesus can ride on it. I'll drive it, though. He can ride on the back. You know, like in a parade. Yes! I will go into the dealership in town here, and I will get the keys... And I will take it. And when they say to me, what are you doing? I will say to them, the Lord needs it. <laughs> yes. I don't think this is going to work. They act out on complete faith. I mean, this is no big deal to take someone's cult. No big deal. I mean, it's huge. And there's this idea that not only are they behaving faithfully, they're going to go to that dealership, they're going to take the Mustang, and they're going to say when the dealer comes out, what are you doing with my stuff? Hey, God needs it. You know what he's saying? The Lord, the ruler, it's actually the supreme ruler, the guy who owns everything, needs your red Mustang convertible right now. That's what he's saying. And you know what's more amazing than the fact that these guys tried this? That they're just like, Okay. I was reading a, one of the commentaries on this, and they said, well, it's obvious that they were believers. Because if they weren't believers, they would be like, uh, no, you can't have my car. But it doesn't ever say that in the Gospels, that they were or were not. They just let it go. The, the other one actually says, they, they say, there it is. You know, you can take it. God had somehow moved in their hearts 
God had somehow moved in their hearts before they ever took the first step on their journey. God had somehow moved in the hearts of the owners of that donkey that when these strangers came to take it because the supreme ruler needs it, they would say to them, take it. You understand what I'm saying? It wasn't just an act of faith by the disciples who've been following Jesus. It was an act of faith and a response to God by these people who had this thing that Jesus needed. That's a big deal. And you, I, you, I just think this is crazy, right? Let me tell you a quick story. We were going to do a trip with the youth, and we were going to do this crazy trip out to Colorado. And we had these kids signed up. We didn't have a church bus. You know, I didn't get the black one with the flames I wanted yet. And so we were going to head out, and, and um, we, were, we were, didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to do. Oh, man, what are we going to do? And then we're talking literally, because we had more, one more person that we had seats for. And so we're talking literally about, well, maybe we can take the van and the car and drive to Colorado. I mean, it's just getting insane. It's, you know, Chris and I were leading that trip. And, and um, then we saw this really nice, uh, what is it, big excursion. It's a monstrous vehicle, right? And we saw it, and Chris says, hey, huh? That might, that might. I would, I don't know. How are we going to ask? I don't know. What, are we going to ask? I don't want to ask. You ask. No, no, you ask. You're the youth pastor. You ask. I'm not asking. And we go back and forth. I'll just drive two cars. Whatever. All of a sudden, I kid you not, uh, love, these, love these folks. They, they had not known. They didn't know us. They didn't know us. They had started coming to worship with us. I don't know if they were believers or not. They come up to me after a service, and they say, hey, can I talk to you a minute? Sure. You know, I, I was thinking, if you guys need our truck, you can have it. And I'm like, okay. You know, and we did. And we drove their truck to Colorado. You might say, that's no big deal, but you haven't seen me drive yet. You know? I mean, it was, it was something else. And we got back unscathed. I mean, there were people praying over that trip. But wow, if you don't think, if you think when you show up to ask someone to do something for God, that God has been working in their heart already before you ever got there, you're sadly mistaken because God is drawing all people into himself, all things into his glory. And when you show up, he's as much about shocking you as he is about shocking anyone else. He's as much about revealing things to you as to anyone else. And then he says, you know, silly, silly, silly. Of course I had a truck. Of course I had a donkey. Of course I have a plan. These are very real things that still happen. The disciples are starting to see Jesus as Lord of all through this. In verse 34, let's look at it together. It says, they replied, the Lord needs it. Again, they, they were speaking this. They know that Jesus has some authority in their lives. They're saying, they're, they're being obedient, but they're also making an assumption. Jesus is Lord of all. The Lord of Lords needs your donkey. The disciples were witnessing the fulfillment of Scripture. The witnessing the fulfillment of Scripture. I'm going to turn back. You don't have to turn with me, but I'm going to turn back right quick. I've got to find my right marker here. Every one of the texts mentions Zechariah 9.9 as a reference point for this riding in on a donkey. What's the big deal about coming in on a donkey? Listen to the First Testament witness to what would happen. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. 
You see, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. You see, there's a political movement underway. Do you see that? He will proclaim peace to all nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the end of the earth. And then later on in verse 16 it says, The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in his crown. There's this great narrative, and they start to see it. They start to get it. They start to understand that Jesus is the Christ. There's a movement underway. And actually, the, the Gospel of John tells us they don't even know it. In John 12, 16, it says, They were witnessing the fulfillment of scriptures, but they didn't understand it. And if you don't take comfort in that, I take comfort in that. Because if you don't see what God's doing in your life right now, right now, just wait and look back. You will see it. You will see it in hindsight. They didn't know he was fulfilling scripture when he stopped and sent them ahead. Let's work on through it here. So they brought it back to Jesus. They threw their coats on it and on the colt, and they put Jesus on it. I don't know why they put him on it. That's kind of a funny thing to me. I don't have a good explanation for that. <laughs> but they put Jesus on the colt. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. The other gospel accounts that people climbed the trees and cut down the palm fronds, right? Went out into the fields and brought in the leaves and threw them down. You see, they're paving, they're like, almost like John all over again. They're paving this way to Jerusalem for the coming king. And if you don't think that they, they thought he was the king, just wait, because they, they think he's the king, you see. They get it. 37, and when he came near the place where the road goes down to Mount of Olives, listen to this, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices because of all the miracles they had seen. The disciples get caught up. It says the people are putting the cloaks down, and the disciples get caught up. They start to see this. Jesus gets on the donkey. They're riding into Jerusalem, and people are taking their coats off and putting them on the dirty road so the donkey can walk on it. This is a scene. And if you weren't on board with Jesus before now, you're getting on board in a hurry. And look at what it says. And I lost my place. Give me one second. It says, the disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles he had seen. We had some discussion this morning. I love it about the bullhorn guy in small group. The bullhorn guy, you know that guy. This means, I kid you not, the Greek for loud voices, megas phone, you know? These guys were screaming at the top of their lungs. They were crying out, this great noise, this megaphone. They start to shout about what they're seeing, even though they don't understand Scripture is being fulfilled. And this is what they shout. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, the supreme ruler. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is big language. These guys are excited. They can't stop themselves. They go in front of Jesus. They go behind Jesus. And they're just screaming praises, praises to the coming king. 
But there's a bit of a problem because they haven't been listening to Jesus. They haven't been hearing what Jesus has been saying to them, that the Son of Man must be betrayed and killed. You see, they're asking dumb questions like, who's going to rule with you? You want to be on this wagon. This is Palm Sunday. We are singing praises to God. Coming King, right now, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to take over the temple. We're going to have new order, new rules. They're daring to dream. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, this is quite the scene, and I want you to sense that. Tomorrow is the St. Patrick's Day parade, right? It's quite the scene. It's a big thing. Everyone thinks they get it. They don't see the scripture ramifications. They aren't listening to Jesus, <laughs> but they get it, <laughs> you know? <sighs> like we're there all the time. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, it says, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I want to talk right quick about this before we move on. Jesus says to the Pharisees, now Jesus has, a, has a, had a long and cantankerous relationship with the Pharisees. They have not been getting along, you see. They've always had issues. And Jesus says to them, I tell you what, if these keep quiet, the rocks will cry out. I always hear people talking about, oh, the end of the church, the end of the church. Oh, what are we going to do? Whew, you know, y'all better be singing. Y'all better be praising, proclaiming the message. Because if not, God will cause the rocks to cry out. You see, this message is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. We can't even speak to it. God will cause the rocks to cry out. Jesus is a big deal. And listen, there, here we go. I want you to see this. This is the party of the century. The party of centuries. They're riding into Jerusalem. Their new king on the donkey. Verse 41 says, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. It doesn't necessarily mean, the word is a different word than to, to cry a tear. He didn't, no, he was at a loss. I don't know. It's not that he was, he was weeping. If nothing else, though, it becomes painfully obvious that to Jesus, this is a different experience than it is for his disciples. I just want you to imagine that for a moment. Imagine these folks that you've been walking with for three years, and you've been doing great signs and wonders because of who you are, because of who you are. And they're starting to see it, and there's joys, and there's pains, and there's triumph, and there's tragedy, and there's the dead are raised, the lame can walk, the blind can see, the poor are cared for. And they've put you on this donkey to fulfill scriptures, and they're shouting and screaming as you ride to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
It's not quite the same experience. And Jesus said this. If you, this is his weeping, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's speaking to the city of Jerusalem. He's speaking to the, to the seat of authority of Israel. He's saying, if you only knew right now what would bring you peace. The city of Jerusalem, the name means place of peace or double peace in the Greek. It's this place of ultimate peace. And what's the most amazing thing about this? We talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, about these times in Jesus' life where he, he perseveres despite his fear, despite his concern, despite his his pain, despite knowing what will happen, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem as his disciples shout ahead of him, the king is coming, the king is coming. And they don't understand. Jesus went even though he knew what was going to happen, because Jesus knew what would bring peace to Jerusalem. It reminds me of this time. I've talked to many of you about this. These times in your life where God will call you to things, and you think of the story of Abraham and Isaac, his son on the altar, and at the last minute, this is a story we love to hear, at the last minute before he plunges the knife, God says, wait, wait. There's another plan. But Jesus on the donkey knows this is the plan. There will be no 11th hour stay for Jesus. There will be no ram caught in the bushes With Jesus Christ, the knife is plunged and the price is paid. The triumphal entry leads to the cross. We're going to have communion today. Communion is a remembrance of the same time, the Passover meal. Jesus goes into Jerusalem with his disciples, and he's, they, they ride in, and there's all this controversy, and he clears the temple, and he's, he goes back out, by the way. He goes back out to Bethpage, to that same place, to the Mount of Olives, and then comes back into the city, and goes back out, and then he gathers his disciples for what we now call the Last Supper. But you see, they, they think it's just a meal. They think this is just the ordinary stuff that they've been through before. This is the yearly ritual. I bet they're still waiting for the king. They're waiting for that. They want a literal time when Jesus will establish his authority. And interestingly enough, they'll get it. But it's not what they think. It's not what we think. 
I'm going to ask some of the leaders who are here to go in the back if you could. We have the communion elements on the table over there. And just bring those up and serve those. I want to invite you during this time of communion to reflect upon the disciples at the table with Jesus. He gathered them in a room like any other room. He sat at a table. It actually says he lounged around with them. John, you know the one that says doing his own thing? John writes that he had his chest laid in the bosom of Jesus, you see. And he's just laying there. And there's just this peace. There's this time of a shared meal, this time of reflection, that they don't understand what's really going on. And so Jesus takes this opportunity one more time to teach. You guys can come ahead. Come ahead and serve. He takes this ordinary bread, the Passover meal, this ordinary wine, and he begins to speak into it something that's so profound they don't understand what he is saying. So on the night he took the bread and he gave thanks and praise. He offered the bread to his father. He gave thanks and praise and said, take this bread, each one of you, and eat it. This is my body, which will be broken for you. They don't understand the meal they're sharing. I want you to reflect on that as you, as you receive today and just as you feel led. It's a price that he paid. We're going to go right through this, right from the bread. We're going to go to the juice. I'm just going to pass it right through. He said the same thing. Take this. In the same way, took the cup and again gave thanks and praise and said, this is the cup of a new covenant, a brand new kingdom, a brand new idea that's being established for you and for all generations. Why? For the forgiveness of your sins. Every time you take this cup, remember me, Jesus says. Remember you, you're right here. He knows what has to happen. He says every time you do it, remember me. That's my prayer today. Let us pray together. Father God, as we are gathered here in your name, we gather here in your house.